welcome to the Kanji Cast, the podcast that you never made a deal with. We're also the show that didn't make the castle run in 12 parsecs, even if you round down, but we do provide an Asian perspective into the galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Bria, and with me are my co-hosts, Brian and Jay. Hello. Hello. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Free and all of the emotions. So, uh, maybe grab a nice cup of comforting tea. I don't know. I'm not the boss of you. You do what you want. Except, you know, listen to this episode because you're already here. But hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> I'm really tired. <laughs> Go team. Yay. Yeah. Hooray. Wee. Yeah. We're Emotions. all fine here now. Uh, happy Tuesday, everyone. Even oh, God, it is Tuesday. Yes. Which means it's not yet Friday, which is a shame. But it might be Friday when they listen to this. I don't know. But uh, anyways. I sorry, assume people need a couple days to read the book. Who needs a couple days to read a book, Brian? Um, <laughs> me. <laughs> you mean everyone doesn't just read it in like one sitting in like three hours? 98% of the reading populace. Uh, actually, I have to admit, I did not, I was not able to read this book in one go, because it's a very Alexander Freed book, and that's not a bad thing, but I could not speed read this. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we? We are, just a little bit. Okay. All right, so on to the news then? On to the news. Or, excuse me, and then there's this, which are actually mostly good things this time around. So let's start with Always Be My Maybe dropped on Netflix. It is yet another Asian-led rom-com, and it stars Ali Wong and Randall Park. And also Keanu Reeves is in it, apparently, and I'm told he's delightful. I still need to watch it, but apparently it's amazing. Um, so I, I caught, Nancy was watching this, I caught like the last two-thirds of it, and I sat down right as Keanu showed up on screen, and I didn't know he was in this. So... My reaction when Keanu shows up playing himself was, what the shit? Wait, he's playing himself? He is playing himself. It's Keanu playing Keanu. That's perfect. I love it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it it was delightful. That's awesome. Now I need to, now I really need to go watch this movie. Except I need to not be podcasting every night this week. (laughs) first uh 2019 the year of keanu very Blessed true maybe. oh and he's in what is that video game he's in now too uh cyberpunk 2077 dropping next spring Ooh, we are in the keanu renaissance everyone enjoy he's the keanu sans as it were <laughs> yeah he actually i'll allow it <laughs> he showed up at e3 for microsoft's presser and by default microsoft wins yeah, didn't some wait? I think I watched that video where someone didn't they yell something at him like, "You're delightful" or something like that. Y- yep, and he responded with, "So are you," or Love something it. like that. I'm so glad he exists. Uh, let's see what's next on here. Oh, uh, so Constance was dressed from Crazy Rich Asians, aka the really beautiful blue one from the wedding, is going to be on display at the Smithsonian. Uh, and then actually, let's just jump to this Constance Wu-related news. Uh, so Fresh Off the Boat got renewed for another season. And there was some crap that went on <laughs> around yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, to sum it up, around the time the renewal news broke, 
Constance tweeted some stuff expressing some displeasure and being upset. And she later clarified that she was bummed out that because the show got renewed it meant she was going to have to say no to a project that she was really, really interested in doing. Uh, I am personally not pleased with how the internet got on their high horse with her. No, they acted like, you know, she should be like grateful for the privilege of whatever she's been able to do so far and, and sort of like not be able to have her own ambitions or desires to do anything else. Yeah. It was, yeah. I just, I get annoyed because I, I have the feeling that if she had been a white guy and tweeted that, everyone would have been like, oh, look at that. Would, we'll just write it off as someone being quirky. Would have brushed it off as the usual sitcom drama that comes with any long-running sitcom. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and it's awesome. Like, I'm really enjoying the show. Uh, I've been watching it since season one. But I can also understand how doing this is season six they're on six or I've lost track, which is a good thing because, you know, Asian representation. But I can understand how playing the same part for that long would get a little boring mm-hmm. and how you'd want to be challenged. Yeah. And especially after Crazy Rich Asians, like you don't want to get the feeling that you're in a career rut, you know? Yeah. But I mean, maybe it wasn't the most tactful thing to tweet, but also the reaction that pe- that people had was just way over the top, and people need to chill out. Mm-hmm. It's very, very patronizing and tone policing. Didn't you know that Asian women should just be grateful for everything and you know, quiet? I can't even say that. I keep finishing that sentence. Oh, <laughs> hate the world sometimes. There's a whole lot to unpack there in that commonly held sentiment, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Okay, as I purposely left this last one to go out on a high note, because Ming-Na Wen is going to be one of the 2019 Disney legends. And Brian, I'm going to guess you probably know a little bit more about this than me, since you're a little more tied into the Disney stuff. Yeah, uh, well, she's uh, a big reason she's going in uh, as one of the Disney legends, which is essentially the Hall of Fame for actors, uh, Imagineers, and other Disney-adjacent folks. Um, so yeah, this is the Disney Hall of Fame, and she is going in in no small part for uh, her role as Mulan, um, because uh, you play a character like that, uh, you are immortalized in Disney lore, as well. She should be correct. And it's important to realize like how big a deal getting the Disney Legends thing is. Like George Lucas himself only got this like what a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Huh. Of course, the question has to be, did he only get it a few years ago because Lucasfilm has only been owned by Disney? Well, he'd, he'd been collaborating with them oh, okay. since like Star Tours in 1987. Oh, okay. so oh that's figure, right. You know. Yeah, he, he had yeah. a super long working history with Disney uh, prior to the sale. Yeah. And Mark Hamill got it. Was it? Is he also in this class or was he last year? I think he may have been last year. I think he was last year. Yeah. So again, that just goes to show pretty big deal. Also, she's amazing. She should. I love her on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's a delight. Now, please put her in a Star War. Right? That woman wants to be in Star Wars so badly. She <laughs> really, really does. If Ming-Na Wen says she wants to be in a Star War, you put Ming-Na Wen in a Star War. I'm still hoping that at some point, whenever Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ends, uh, or S.H.I.E.L.D., eh, singular S.H.I.E.L.D., 
uh, whenever that ends, that Jed and Marissa are going to get to do a Star Wars show, and they'll bring Ming Nalwen with her, and then she gets to be a Star War. I I'm all for that. Right, I think it's a good idea. So yeah, was there anything we missed for the? And then there's this. Actually, Jay, you saw Aladdin, right? Yes, I did. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Because I haven't seen it yet, and I want your take. Sure. So, um, the movie itself is, you know, interesting as it's like one of the, you know, the standard Disney animated remakes where they try to do the movie and, and sort of modernize it by making the princesses more active and have more of a role, try to bump up the diversity a bit. And what was really interesting about Aladdin, um, back when the casting was announced was that, um, they were going for mostly uh, Middle Eastern um, heritage for the for the actors involved, and then Jasmine, uh, they cast someone of Indian descent, South Asian, not Middle Eastern, uh, from England or, or you know English background, uh, mixed race, and there was a lot of uh, controversy about that because it was interpreted as uh, putting I mean, Middle Easterners and South Asians and all together, everyone of remotely brown skin in the same in the same bucket and it was not considered a sensitive casting and there there was quite a bit of drama around that the way they handled it in the film though was really interesting um i don't know if this was like intended to address the casting drama or not but one of the things that happens is that they point out that jasmine's mother apparently comes from another kingdom and so i don't know if that was intended to sort of point out her background or not huh but she does a great job in the film, and it was, you know, for a Disney remake, animated remake film, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Is it better? I don't know how many of the other ones you've seen, but how does it compare to, like, Beauty and the Beast or uh, so I think Jungle Book? Better than Beauty and the Beast, not as good as Cinderella, and I haven't seen Jungle Book. Okay. That's interesting, because I was so convinced that movie was going to not be good, especially after the trailers. Yeah, I think what what was key is they they realized they couldn't try to be the exact same thing as the cartoon. And so for one thing, uh, you know, Will Smith doesn't try to be uh, Robin Williams. He does his own style of humor, which helps a lot. And then the other thing is I really, really liked Jasmine's plotline in the film. Um, Do you guys care about spoilers or not? I mean, it's a film we've all seen. Fire away. Go for it. Uh, So Jasmine's motivation in this film isn't to find true love. It's that she thinks she should be sultan and there's no reason she needs to marry someone else for them to rule her kingdom and her people for her. And I like that. (laughs) Ends the film. Instead of her dad saying, you can marry a prince now. He says, I you clearly are doing a better job of this than me. I abdicate my throne to you and you can change the law if you want now. Damn, girl. (laughs) Oh, that is that's a much better approach. Yeah, so I wow. loved everything about that plot line. I am now at least 70% more interested in seeing this movie. Yeah, Jasmine was awesome. Aladdin was okay, too. <laughs> we all know what you're here for, Jay. It's the royalty. Yeah, I really think she should have just married a prince. I mean, I'm sorry. It's not, nothing, nothing against street rats except kind of everything against street rats. <sighs> on brand, Jay. On brand. Never change. I try not to. We know. (sighs) Okay, so shall we dive into our discussion topic for the month? Let's do it. Cool. All right, so we're going to be talking about Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed. It came out today, which for us today is June 11th. 
So hopefully by the time you get this episode in your ears, you have had a chance to pick up the book. And if you haven't finished it yet, maybe finish the book and then come back to us. Uh, we won't be offended if you take another couple days to, to listen to the episode. But because the timing worked out pretty well, we just really wanted to dive into the book. And I also want to take a second to explain why exactly we're talking about this since we have, for the most part, focused on purely Asian characters or overarching topics of representation. Uh, so when the cover first came out, a lot of people looked at Erica Quell on the front and read her as being mixed Asian. And when I say a lot of people, I mean a lot of my fellow mixed half Asian people were like, oh, oh, she's mixed. Yeah. So there's no definitive statement within the book because Erica doesn't really talk about her past all that much because it's just not who she is and it's not like in a Star Wars book you can write oh yeah she's half Asian but at the very least I think we're all pretty comfortable with saying that she's a person of color and especially based upon the artwork that we've seen in Marvel's TIE Fighter mm, definitely yep yeah so we're we're kind of claiming her a little bit and also because all three of us are really big X-Wing pilot and pilot fans, I think it's actually the reason all three of us are friends. That's exactly it. Yeah, like Brian and I are friends from an old X-Wing series uh, forum, and then Jay and I ended up bonding in the uh, Starfighter draft. Veneer is better than Pash. Listen, <laughs> Pash beat Veneer, and I have the trophy to say it. You lost, Jay. You lost. Should have been um, an asterisk in the record book. Sorry. You lost. Before. You lost to a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> Kids, before Twitter, there was a thing called message boards. <laughs> and we were like this all the time. We were. Mm-hmm. It's God, that was like half a lifetime ago for me. Literally. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyways, so the point is, is that we really love pilots. We really love X-Wings. And also... I think it's worthwhile that, yes, the kanji cast is looking at things from an Asian perspective, but we don't have to just look at Asian characters. So we're deep diving Alphabet Squadron because we can and because I put it on the schedule and neither of these guys said no to it. Boom. So, yeah. All right. Quick gut reaction to the book. Yay or nay? Yay. Yay, 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 yay. All caps, yay. Could you hear my voice? (laughs) Yes, yes, we heard the excitement. I'm not really sure how, you know, are you sure it was a yay, guys? I'm a little unclear. Buy this book now. <laughs> yeah, I'm also a big yay for this one. Uh, I put a, I wrote a review of it for Tashi Station. I was really proud of myself for actually writing the review within 48 hours of finishing the book because I usually forget to with arcs. But I think what I mentioned was that it's different from a lot of other Star Wars books. Like, if you've never read an Alexander Freed book before, it, it might be a little bit of a surprise because it's, for me, it was a slower book to read. But that definitely doesn't mean it's bad. And I said in my notes, this is quick, quick gut reaction. That's not my gut reaction. So I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I really liked it. And I would die for Erica Quell, which is how Tom said we pronounce our name, right? It was Erica? Erica, yes. yeah. Okay. Star Wars names, man. They're the worst. <sighs> okay, Brian, 
would you mind just doing a quick brief rundown of the plot for us? Okay, bear with me because I'm exhausted. My brain is only working at about 50%. So New Republic intelligence is kind of a hot mess um, immediately after the Battle of Endor. As in, there's not really a well-defined NRI that can address certain issues that are coming up, such as shadowing. The, uh, a feared Imperial uh, fighter detachment, um... So we start off with uh, Karen Aiden, who is, a, he's an NRI agent of sorts, right? An yeah. analyst or something like analyst, that. Yeah, an title, analyst. Gotcha. So he is, uh, he's putting something together. He's putting, he's putting a team together. Um, and he's putting a team together that can go, that can hunt research hunt and take down this shadow wing threat and he starts by recruiting uh erica quell who in the beginning of the book is making a mad dash a a mad dash in her tie fighter through a dust storm that we later learn is caused by operation cinder um and uh she crashes in the process and is recovered by the by the New Republic and taken to sort of a sort of a holding camp for Imperial defectors. Um, so that's where Kane runs into Erica. Um, and we then get kind of these kind of these uh, dueling stories where uh, we see Erica trying to, slowly kill herself to establish kind of a place within the new Republic and, uh, the story with riot and hound squadrons, um, riot and hound squadrons are being hunted by shadow wing and their cruiser carrier. Uh, uh, I think it was a frigate. Was it a frigate? Um, is being chased through hyperspace, uh, by Shadow Wing, and it is kind of a war of attrition. Um, in Riot and Hound Squadrons, uh, we meet uh, two of the uh, two other central characters to uh, this story: Will Lark and oh, I'm going to screw this pronunciation up. I don't even know where to start on this. Chas Chasnachadik Shadik. That Chadik, I think, is what I said. I'm with Chadik. Okay. Yeah. I, I've got a review copy of the audiobook. I really should have listened to it for character names. Listen, it's Star Wars. We mess up names when <sighs> we go down with that ship. That Han. we do. Han. <laughs> um, so as Wright and Hound Squadron are slowly losing a war of attrition, um, Erica gets recruited by uh, Aiden and... Uh, to be part of a part of a working group that winds up on a capital ship that is commanded by none other than General Harris Syndulla, who is wonderful in this book. It is this might not be a Hera book, but there's some A plus stellar Hera content in it. Um, 
So Aiden uh, negotiates for this working group to operate out of the Lodestar and get access to its resources and mechanics. Um, and uh, so we, 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 we go through a, we go through a bit of bit of the, in the middle here where the band comes together. Um, Erica is sent with a rather mysterious figure named Kairos Kairos? Kairos. Kairos. Kairos to recruit another Imperial defector, um, a Y-wing. Sorry, that? <laughs> <laughs> a Y-wing pilot by the name uh, of Nath uh, Tencent. Gross. Uh, Nath and Nath and Erica don't get off to what I'd call the best of starts. It's a it's a little bit of a rough go for Erica. Um, but Nath is recruited. Um. And eventually, Will and Chas um, are forced to abandon their frigate and their what's left of their squadrons and jump to hyperspace, and they wind up at the Lodestar. And that's your working group. Uh, Erica, Will Lark, Chas... 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 Shadek. Kairos, Nath, Tencent. Uh, they're... Commanding off their sort of CO or operation leader is Karen Aiden, and there's ITO, a former Imperial torture droid turned therapist. That's yeah, that's 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 the kind of fun that uh, this crew's in for. Um, so Will is an A wing pilot, Chas is a B wing pilot. Nath Y-Wing, uh, Erica, an X-Wing pilot, and they get the they get the monic the mocking moniker Alphabet Squadron for their hodgepodge collection of fighters. Um, their first mission is a mess. They get ground uh, Hera grounds them. Uh, things- not, I think it's not even a mission. It's just like a training thing. Yeah, it's a training exercise that yeah. goes very, 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 very badly. Uh, so Hera grounds them from actual flying. They only get sim time. Um, eventually they get a non-combat mission to prove themselves, prove themselves. Um, and that's the, that's at the point where they go on a mysterious little inadvertent force journey, which that was a, that temple scene was fun. Um, so eventually, as things goes on, uh, Erica embraces the Alphabet Squadron moniker and gets uh, a crest painted on all of their ships, as well as getting an Alphabet Squadron tattoo. Erica learns. Erica learns a little bit of leadership in that moment, and she does this after having a heart to heart with Hera, because again, Hera is the best. We all need to have heart to hearts with Hera. God, we all do. Like I could use, I could use a motivational heart to heart with Hera. I'm afraid what she'd tell me. Yeah, you should be. You you should be. Space Thanks, bomb. Space bomb would be so disappointed in you, Jay. What did I do? You're an You're imperial. imperial. So so many <laughs> good people. Uh huh. Well, uh, continue. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later. Okay, and then there's the Pandem Nine mission. Uh, Nath goes rogue, ditches the ship, and goes after um the uh. The Imperial, uh, what was her rank, Nares? 
Colonel. Colonel Nuras. Uh, all of Pandemnai is burning, and it's up to Alphabet Squadron to try and rescue as many people as they can. Um, while this is going on, Nath manages to get Erica's Imperial Service record, and uh, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Erica crashes, Aiden confronts her about what really happened at Necronus, and uh, I hate Aiden. I hate him so much. He's uh, the worst. He is the worst. Uh, in the end, it's a victory, but uh, there is a very dark cloud hanging over our hero, Erica Quell. And we have yeah. two more books with which to resolve this. It's fine. I'm sure fine. everything will be fine and nothing will hurt at all. It's Alexander Freed. Everything's going to hurt. It's going to hurt so bad. Like, so I first read this as an arc, and actually, <laughs> when I have arcs, the nice thing is I can mark it up and not feel bad about it. And there were so many lines that I underlined, because I was just like, what the hell? Like, for example, the line, if you could do this, he went on and swept his hand gesturing to the corpse in Acronis, then there's nothing that will drive you out. Like, Ouch. Yeah. I just... Oof. Alexander Freed, man, does not pull punches. I can't imagine why they had him write the novelization for Rogue One. Ah, <sighs> he he is he is very good at hurting you. He is. He did write one happy story though. Fact pause. That wasn't. That wasn't happy, Jay. It was happy for me. Oh gosh. Oh, here's another good one. Because when innocents die in war, there should be a point to it. Because if you can't even begin to explain what good you're doing by fighting, you're fighting on the wrong side. That was such that a, was good a good line. <sighs> and it's even better once you realize the twist to all of this, which we should probably just... Actually, we'll, we'll talk about that. We're going to do a deep dive into Erica a little bit. Do you want to do just dive into her first and then talk about the rest of the squadron? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so like... Brian said, we first meet her, she's recovering physically and mentally, which I really also loved the description of her body being fragile, um, which I don't think at all detracted from the strength of her character. She just was literally broken quite frequently. Um, but she is part of what they call the second wave of defectors. So the first wave happened after Endor when the second Death Star went boom. Or I said the first one. And then the second one happens when Operation Cinder went down. And she is part of that second wave. What she tells everyone is that she she couldn't be a part of Operation Cinder on Narconis, Narconis. So she tried to stop it from happening when in reality she was there. Didn't fight back against it. Just sort of landed and was like freaking out and gets convinced to swap by one of her people who was like, there's a sickness in you. If you don't leave now, if this doesn't make you leave, nothing will. Um, but she's part of that, that second wave. And how did, let's just dive right into that. How did you guys feel about the revelation of her defection story being a lie and Major Kai's being the one who sort of pushed her and recognized everything? Uh, it was a, uh... It was a really interesting. Oh, hang, hang on one second. I Hello. gotta get Jay. He's at, back. Up, oh, hi, He's Jay. Back. They gave me a button to join. Excellent. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, Want to restate that question for Jay? Sure. Um, 
how did you feel? How'd you guys feel about the revelation of her defection story being a lie and it actually being major Kai's who was all, listen, if you have this sickness inside of you about being in the empire and you are not willing to swap sides and like, and operation center isn't what gives you that push. You're just always going to be in the empire and him kind of being like, go. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting. Like the whole book were led to believe that Cinder was what pushed her over the edge. And we're sort of trained to believe that because we've seen that story before. Right. And she's fed in all these reminiscences of her being part of the rebellion. And yet there's clearly something eating at her the whole time, whether she's really worthy for the new Republic. And that was really like a gut punch at the end, I guess, because we suddenly get it. Like why she's been questioning herself the entire time. Yeah. It, in that moment, the whole her whole arc and the whole book just snaps into sharp focus. Uh, I, I thought it was extremely clever and uh, I, I loved it. Yeah. And I liked the part where it, it's very clear at the start, like on the second page, it says, this is the story she told Yeah, about her, what happened in Narcronus. And I thought that was incredibly clever and something I didn't necessarily pick up on until later. Same. Because um, it seems so innocuous in the beginning, right? This is just her telling her story. Right. And it just seems very, it just seems very much like her. And it's Especially. Go ahead. Uh, it's interesting in the beginning because when she's in Trader's Remorse, she's thinking about the different waves of defectors. And, you know, the Endor wave was like the good wave or whatever. Then the Cinder wave was a little better. And then there's like another wave that's coming in and they're, they're sort of the lowest of the low. And she's, you know, even though she defected during Cinder, she's maybe mentally secretly putting herself in that last group and we don't know it yet. Yeah. Uh, I think a point you made before is something I wanted to talk about. And I actually want to sit down at some point and do and write about this, but I, I saw her as being the opposite side of the coin from Iden Versio because they both defect after operation Cinder, but the reasons why and how they do so couldn't be more different. Oh, and I thought that was fascinating, especially given her whole, her backstory where she said um, that she's pro rebellion and she, you know, wanted to join the rebellion. So she went to the service academy so she could get flight training. And then she decided to stay at the flight academy and get a little bit more training. And then she just never defected, which I thought was a really neat twist on the hobby story, the hobby and big story we mm -hmm. know so well. Right. It's like each time we think we've known this story before, right? Because the hobby and bigs is sort of the standard defector story in the expanded universe. Then we got something a little different with Aiden. Then we get something even more different with Eric, and each time we're sort of conditioned to find that pattern. Um, I, I would definitely, for one, be really interested in what you had to say about uh, contrasting the two of them. Yeah, I still need to sit down and like outline it, but that's just something that's been sticking with me since I first read the book, and not just because... Well, they do. Uh, they talk about Inferno Squad in here, which I just sort of screamed quietly when they mentioned it. I was just like, oh, my babies. <laughs> um. But yeah, how, Brian, did you have any thoughts on the whole, on her backstory? Well, I, I, 
just on how this is a defector story that we've never gotten before. Um, and it's, it's kind of a lovely counterpoint to the people who say they are that uh, defector stories are overdone because I've, I've never, I've never read a care. I've never read a defector character like this before. And I think, I think it makes, I think it makes Erica so, so compelling. Yeah. Especially because within the book too, you have another Imperial defector to compare her Mm -hmm. against. Yeah. Um, which we may be jumping ahead a little bit here, but uh, Nath Tencent, who defected back, I think it was before Alderaan. Yes. Yes. But he is the furthest thing from a big shiny hero. Like this man is not Tycho Selchu. Oh the yeah, he is mirror. He is he is mirror universe Tycho. Yeah. Um. He I down to he's... flying a Y wing instead of an A wing. <laughs> right. Who the heck would fly a Y wing? Ugh. Ugh. Actually, I'm kind of glad it was him. <laughs> Who flew the Y-Wing? Because he's my least favorite. And I'm exactly. like, please. Which I think part of it was his name is so much like Nash. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit it. I'm just preconditioned to be like, oh, no. But he is hot. So that's unfortunate. I, I'm upset by how hot he is, to be honest. Right? Right? How dare. Ugh. Um, but he's. I, I like that even within the book, you get two different you get those two different stories where neither one of them are painted as being a hero. And to me, Nath wasn't necessary. It was never working for redemption. Whereas would you say that, uh, that Erica was genuine question. That's interesting. That's it's an interesting question. I don't, I'm not, I need another book because I'm not sure necessarily that in this book, she is working for redemption more than she's trying to find a place for herself. Yeah, I don't think she ever really regrets her imperial service. Like, I don't ever get that impression from her throughout the book. Yeah, to me, she it's not even necessarily well, it is her place, but she's also trying to figure out who she is. Mm Mm-hmm. Because a lot of it, I figured it's bad. It, I can speak English. It felt to me like she was just trying to figure out who she was now, um, which was just fascinating to me. Like I, I still, I'm not over how what a unique protagonist she was, and I really hope that we get to spend a heck of a lot more time with her. Yeah. Even though I suspect this is going to go like the race squadron books did and it'll be a different lead protagonist for each of the trilogy but oh interesting Hmm. we'll see what happens though um oh that was another thing i want to ask what did you think about her relationship with her astromech the d6l it it was also kind of a relation uh pilot droid relationship i hadn't seen a whole lot of before um i i i love that she accidentally um conscripted essentially a maintenance droid into starfighter combat poor droid he tried so hard i i got really emotional when he tried to take responsibility when that one thing went really wrong he tried to tender his resignation and protect her such a good droid we don't deserve droids, guys. We don't. 
Um, okay, I just thought of a question. I'm just gonna go ahead and ask you. We're gonna. I'm gonna do it for each of the characters. If you had to compare, and we're gonna talk about comparing this to the X-wing series later on. But while we go through each of the characters, if you had to compare each member of Alphabet Squadron to someone from the Wraith and the Rogue books from Legends, who would you go with for Erica? Uh, Lara. I would actually go with Face. And I, it's because I keep thinking about the line that uh, Ton had about him putting so much pressure on the child he used to be. That just seems like it rings true for Erica, too. See, my answer was Min. Ooh. Yeah, I can see Min. Yeah. I think it's interesting we're all finding different comparisons. This is going to be fun, guys. <laughs> and I did not prepare for this because I literally just thought of it now. So this is going to be good. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Any other major thoughts on Erica before we move on to a one very good horse boy? Uh, one last thing, and, and this is something I actually um, thought of while I was reading it and doing a full article on it. But basically, I thought it was really interesting how Erica does, like, she has such difficulty adjusting to the New Republic and the way they do things. And she never really abandons her imperial mindset i don't mean imperial in terms of political loyalties but in terms of her tactics and how things are supposed to be organized and i guess she does learn to adjust but she's still constantly mm-hmm. saying this is how you're supposed to run an operation this is how you run a squadron and it's only when she really lets go of that that things click together well and even when she lets go she doesn't like it yeah yeah well, there's that line there's a line towards the end i think it's when uh in that last mission where she's like plan like playing like a rebel ruthless as an imperial or something like that something like that yeah yeah which is like combining her things together yeah yeah it's a really good point okay should we talk about i i refer to him as as while but will also works that makes sense but the very good the very good horse boy will (laughs) not actually a horse boy (laughs) will lark is a good soft boy who must be protected Yes, I really want him and Delmico to meet so badly. Um, and they can talk about animals together. It'll be great. No, okay. Let's talk about him. Brian, tell me more reasons why you love this good soft boy. He's a nature boy. <laughs> he, co- he comes from a he comes from a planet and a society that's so attuned with nature and he ro- he rode like Star Wars banshees and use that to oh become my God, a great pilot. He is from Pandora. Oh my God, he's from Pan- Wait, isn't the name pretty close too? Oh, wait, where is he from? Where is he from? Hang on, shoot, hang on. Shoot, Someone shoot. else talk. I'm looking this up. Jay, that's well, you because I think we're both. All right. Up. Well, so speaking of where he's from, I think I had trouble connecting with Will Lark because. I don't know, the whole thing about space country boy from the corners of the outer rim and where they don't know how to do things. It's like, uh, peasants. Why do we have to suffer peasants? Jay, why are you like this? <laughs> He's a good, precious boy. Someone has to provide balance here. Ugh. He is from Polynius. See, it's even almost like Pandora. <sighs> yes, he's, he's a very good boy. He is a he good is- boy, and... 
one of the most heartbreaking things in the book for me was when he was having that kind of World War One trench warfare moment where uh, he was on an open calm to speaking oh, yeah. out to uh, to um, Shadow Wing. Shadow Wing, and instead of getting a similar message in return, uh, he essentially got a bleed and die. We are going to kill you. Message in return. Poor soft boy, Will. Yeah, that was another moment where we were trained to think a certain way, ex- exactly because of that whole World War One thing. It's like, you know, okay, so they're going to play along and tell stories because that's what you do in war, right? You play soccer on the Western Front, and that is not what happened. And that was, even I will admit, that was kind of sad. Yeah, especially because it, it sounded at first like it the guy was going to go along with it, and then nope, just pulled the carpet right out. It Ugh. it certainly did go to show just how ruthless Shadow Wing was, um, because both uh, both the Republic cruiser and Shadow Wing's cruiser were crippled at the time, and things were not good for either side. Yeah, you know, I kind of like it too because it it rings of the real world. Like you know, this isn't the first Christmas of World War One, right? It is you know several years into a war, the Empire is losing. Everyone's gotten ruthless, especially the Empire, and they just don't feel like being buddy buddies with the guys that are kicking the snot out of them. They just feel like being nasty, and that just felt like it fit. Yeah, this is why I love that Freed focuses on the people down in the trenches. Mm-hmm. You don't get the big damn heroes. You get the people who are fighting the no, war on yeah, a daily you get, basis. You get, you get the cogs in the machine with a freed book, and this alphabet squadron's no exception. Yeah. I feel like we can't talk about while, uh, now I can't mispronounce his name all the time, but with Alsa, without talking about Chas and Alchatic, who I love my girl, my angry girl with She's her music. She's my punk rock angry B-wing pilot chick. Oh, it's bless awesome. her. Oh, wait, hold on. Pause. Go back. Uh, who do you line up while with? My answer is oh. Gavin. Yeah, he's a Gavin. Yeah, I think that's actually that's one we might have to agree on. Um, wasn't a wasn't a rogue or a wraith, uh, but showed up in some later Olsen works as well as a pilot. Uh, Cheriska Hannity. You know what? She was. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I'll allow it because she was in Adamar, but huh? I still think Gavin fits better. I, I, G- Gavin is, I think, a better so fit. In essence. And yeah. also, yeah. one last thing before we switch over is uh, the the way he sort of cared for his X-Wing, like or A-Wing, for, like an old beat-up car, and he's just like trying to, like, or, or, or like an animal, really, like trying to keep the his uh, old friend together was, was really nice. Because he's a good, soft boy, Jay. Good, I, I, I said I like that one part. Soft. Boy. Must be protected at all costs. All costs. Onto the punk rock girl. <laughs> uh, she, punk rock B wing pilots so great. I I think what really got me for her was when her and Wyle are first brought when their their squadron's gone, and she just completely loses her shit at while because he took away her choice yes and by saving her he took away her choice and i was just like oh my god all of you need therapy so desperately but i also understood it 
why she was so upset. And that just between that and the music just made her feel so incredibly real to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, of of all the characters in Alphabet Squadron, she might have been the most relatable to me. Um, I I love them all, but Chas uh, Chas was great. And I always enjoyed the the moments where she forgot to mute her music on the comms and it's blasted across the the airwaves. It it never got old. Yeah, and I like that it was a um, the friendship between her and Wild took time. It took a while, and there were oh my god, Jay. Jay. Uh, See now you have to now you have to talk. Where was I going to go with that? That their friendship took a while. I hate you. I know. Do you have any other thoughts on? I mean, her? I thought she, she was a really interesting character. Um, she's Thelen, which is cool. So, our um, as far as the the cast members we've talked about, the first non-human, right? Because because Will is a human, right? Yes, pretty sure. Pretty sure yes. So she's the first and not the last non-human that we'll be talking about. Uh, the other thing is that. She just felt really real. Like, I got a real Battlestar Galactica vibe out of her. Like, you know, the pilots that we would see in the rec room just having, you know, peace and time, playing cards with each other. Like, she felt like she would fit in among Starbuck and Apollo and all those folks. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And now she's going to make making a uh, comparison to the the Roths, (laughs) the rogues in the race that much harder. I want to say either Fallon or Neri. Ooh, Neri is a good one. But I don't think she's quite as broken as Neri was at the start. No. Um, yeah, Fallon, I can see. Um, although, is there anyone who's got uh, who's got the biggest death wish in Rogue or Wraith Squadron? Caltaner. Ton. Ton, yeah. There's a little bit of Ton in her. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anyone. Yeah, I think that's about it. That's. Oh, I loved her though. <laughs> I loved her so much. I I hope she gets to be. If we're if we are switching main protagonists, I hope she's next. No, oh, agreed. Yeah. Also, I really wonder, and and Brian, you have to tell us what they do with her music in the audiobook. Oh yeah, I should. I, uh, I, Random House sent me a copy today. Thank you, Random House. I'm gonna have to listen back to that and listen to that and to see what they do. Yeah, I hope someone comes up and like makes. I hope people make playlists for her. Ooh, I loved all the I in-universe did... music names we got for her to the genres of the songs and the groups. Bria, I'm no. making you a promise. I am yes. making a Chas Spotify playlist this week. Yes. I'm going to tweet about it so you can't back out about it. I, I'm going to do it. Whoops. Bria, still there? I think we lost yeah, your mic. Yeah, I'm still there. I just, no, I'm here. I just muted my mic so that way you couldn't hear me typing. So someone else has to talk. Here, <laughs> someone, talk, someone talk about Kairos. Uh, Kairos was the definitely the most mysterious one uh, in the group. Uh, described as just head to toe covered in this... Mis- in this uh, entirely concealing uh, helmet and outfit. Um, 
she appears to be extraordinarily capable of murder, uh, but also might be the most spiritual of the uh, of the of the squadron, which I wasn't expecting. So here's something interesting about Kairos. Kairos is an ancient Greek word for time, but specifically the aspect of time that means the right or opportune moment. And if there's one thing we can say about Kairos is like deliberate, deliberate and methodical action is kind of like her thing. You don't see her act until she does. And then she's just like in an instant does what she needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really curious to see if we ever, well, I think we will, but I'm very curious to see what her backstory ends up being. Uh, her backstory is the only one that was marked as classified. Yep. This will be interesting. And she's the only one with a single name, not a surname. Yep. Ooh, I wonder if that's a code name. Ooh. And not her actual name. Interesting. We technically don't even know her species, right? Right. Mm. We know nothing. Yeah, I... And that's what makes comparing her to a rogue or wraith hard, I think. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't even know where to start on that comparison. Yeah, I don't have anything. Jay? Uh, the closest thing I got was M-Trey when he was being weird, and that's not even a good comparison. That was just <laughs> M-Trey being weird. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I got nothing there either. All right, do we want to go to the last member of the squadron who flies a garbage ship. Math Tencent. Why Math Tencent. He's not even... Okay, the thing about Nath is like I didn't like him from the start. Like there was just something about him that irked me. And then we get to the end when he decides in the middle of the battle to go rogue because he had to get his revenge on Grandmother. And I'm just like, dude, you leave poor while all on his own with your astromech flying the ship don't tell him don't tell him anything just so you can get on the ship and like get your revenge and shoot her oh and yeah by the way let's also take erica's service file while we're here and send it to to aiden like dude go sit in the corner think about what you've done now for someone who never hid how terrible he was, it was a surprise how terrible he was. That that is some yeah. supremely effective writing. Yeah. Like I understand wanting revenge. Like that makes sense. I get that. But like he's even described as kind of being nasty. Yeah, he, you know from the beginning he's this kind of scummy, selfish person. And you're still surprised at how selfish and scummy he is at the end. And you can see Will, like, bonding with him, and it just feels like, oh, no, this is not going to end well. Oh, Will, no. buddy, no. This precious boy. Wedge Antilles would have stopped that, but Erica has a different sense of people, and that's what's so fascinating about her. It's both like, please, someone stop this, and also, hmm, this is interesting. Yeah, I mean, well... Thing is, Wedge Antilles would have stopped it, but Wedge Antilles would have never had a squadron like this. Because, he had Wraith Squadron. They were kind of broken. Yeah, but he picked them. True. These five just get tossed together, and they're, like, scraped from the bottom of the barrel. Like, let's be real. Aiden grabs Wile and Shast because, oh, hey, they have spaceships. Let's take them. And 
they've just lost their entire squadron. So they've got nowhere else better to be. They need Nath because he also has a grudge on Shadow Wing. And I'm just like... <sighs> it's just interesting, it, though, to me that how how different the the vibe is of, of Eric as a squad leader from what we're used to. And it's not like a criticism or anything. It's just that oh, we're yeah. so used to squad leaders as being team dad. And Erica is not team mom. She's completely different. She has no idea what to do. Yeah. I love that she has, like, Hera has to sit her down and be like, okay, let's let's talk about this. This is how you do it. Like, do they know that you would care about them and that you would fight for them? And she has to explain it. Whereas Nath just has a much more natural... Charm. Oily charm. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. I I hope there's some sort of consequence for Nath at some point. He needs it. I yeah, hope but, Erica shoves him in an airlock and threatens to vent him. Yeah. I hope he just blows up in his garbage Y-wing just because it sucks and serves him right <laughs> for flying one. Yeah, but save the droid. I like the, the droid. The droid. He's good. got like a he's got a C1, right? Like chopper. Yeah. Or C5 or something. Something like that. Like that. Yeah. Same type, definitely. Yeah. All right, what's your comparison for him? The only thing I can think of is Jace. <laughs> and that doesn't even really fit. Cast and Don. Cast and Don. An older, scummier okay. Cast and Don. Yeah, I'll take it. That works. I'll switch my vote. Ugh. Speaking of, ugh, Karen Aiden. What? I want to punch him. Gummy, just manipulative bastard he's the other shoe has to drop on him at some point right oh god i hope so he's definitely at least living up to the old eu nri reputation of they're all terrible yes there we go that that's who the comparison i want to make for him is what's his face from adamar tomer oh, darpin tomer yes. darpin yes 100 percent. he is absolutely a tomer darpin Ugh. now i will this might sound hyperbolic, but I mean it. I hate Karen Aiden more than I hate Borsk Valia. Oh. Wow. Oh. Oh, no. Is, is he your most hated character in... Yes. In the new canon? Oh, yeah. More By than Rax? More than Rax. <laughs> Don't say that name without warning. More than Brendel Hux? Okay, that's a me problem. More than... More than Gideon Hask? More than Mon Mothma? More than Gideon Hask. <sighs> Jay. Whoa. And I hate all of them a bunch, except Mon Mothma, Jay. Damn it. So close. Wow. That is how much I hate Karen Aiden. Not to say that Karen Aiden is a bad character. He, I, he is an exceptionally well-written character because I hate him this much. God, he just, he rubs me the wrong way. I'm just like, I... Just put the droid. Just forget him. Airlock him. Keep the droid. Right. Ugh. He's just, he's so uncomfortable. He, I keep hoping that it's, I kept hoping that at some point, because they name dropped Krake, uh, Kraken, and mm -hmm. I'm like, I kept waiting for him to pop up and just be like, all right. But Release no. Release the Kraken. Yes. Precisely. He is just so skeevy. I hate him. Ugh. Yeah. <sighs> okay. On a happier note, ITO? What's not to love about an Imperial torture droid turned therapist? Yeah. 
I liked this felt like one of the it's not the first, but it felt like one of the more in-depth looks at mental health care in the galaxy far, far away. Yes. Which to me was fascinating because the droid kept being like, yeah, she's not ready. <laughs> and he kept trying to help her, but she didn't want to. Erica didn't want to be helped and it took forever for them to get that relationship. And also she has a better relationship with ITO who she never thinks of as being ITO. She just refers to him as the droid in her head the whole time. And she does with any of the squadron members. Mm-hmm. Just. Maybe that's another reason I hate Karen Aiden so much is because he has a freaking Imperial torture droid in his employ. Oh. I don't think I've seen anything like this in Star Wars before, and I don't know if you talked about it. I think you were briefly mentioning um, Erica recovering physically when I dropped off the connection earlier, but I, I don't think I've seen the connection between physical and mental strain and uh, issues in, in Star Wars before. And I, I thought it was fascinating how it, it, play, it, it, it played out, and we had to see the stages of what Erica was going through and how ITO was identifying um, what she was saying and what she wasn't saying, but what he can, we, what he could see in her mm -hmm. too. I, I mean, other books have kind of touched on it, but nothing to the degree this book did. I think it's really fitting that it happens in a book that is about the everyday soldier, the in the trenches, because they're the ones who are probably the most screwed up by all this. Oh yeah. Um, I think it was handled. I think it was handled very respectfully, too. I, I'd agree with that, yeah. Um, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't pull any punches with... Uh, doesn't pull any punches with how rough a go Erica's, Erica is having. And it is clear that, yeah, she's having a, she's having a hard time because she is not... She emotionally not just physically, is not okay. Yeah. God. Why is Alexander Freed so good at this stuff? Because <sighs> it's his mission in life to hurt us. Apparently. Man, I just... Yeah, we'll tie it into that. So, there were a lot of... And I, I'm going to get away from talking about the characters. I don't really think there's a Wraith or Rogue comparison for ITO. Um, no. But, uh, Closest is Wedge playing occasional therapist. Or I was literally just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was, when they first announced the series, and or actually the book, and then that was a trilogy, a lot of people immediately jumped to the X-Wing books. So for me, I feel like it had a similar, it's definitely a bit of a spiritual successor in the way that Poe Damer and comic was a spiritual successor. But... I definitely don't think of it the same way I think about the Wraith books. Like, the humor is not here. No. Um, I mean, there's some very funny lines in here, but this is a much darker book. Well, it, do it doesn't have the Alston laugh out loud moments, but all of the character emotional heft that you came to love in the Wraith books, that's definitely in this book. Yeah, it's well. One thing I'll say just at the beginning, I d I did love the return of X Wing series pilot slang, and that was one of the things I was happiest to see in this book. Eyeballs, squints, stoops, and all that stuff. But as for the actual comparison, the X Wing series is very military sci-fi and all that entails, right? The sort of sort of glamorous and you know starfighters, you know 
pew pew and you know all that stuff um it has its dark emotional moments too but this was a very grounded look at what war does to people and so it's maybe a spiritual successor to x-wing but not the same style as x-wing at all it's the other end of the military sci-fi spectrum Mm -hmm. yeah i i think it's a i think it's a modernized take on how you'd write an x-wing book today yeah I mean, I think there's, I think there's still a way to write it as a more, I certainly wouldn't object to a more lighthearted X-Wing story. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like I said, like I can usually read through books pretty fast and this one I had to take at least two days to go through just cause I needed to really slow down and read the words. And it's so, it's so heavy sometimes. Um, yeah, this is a book that demands you take time to let things sink in. Yeah. Because again, Eric is so. I just I just want I want to make things better for her and I want to protect her, but I know she would also hate it. Oh, yeah. She would absolutely not stand for it. Yeah. Oh, man. The other thing about this book, the the fact that uh, you need time to read it, it also takes its time. It doesn't rush through things. It takes a while to get to the first real space battle and that's because i think it's it's written knowing that this stuff is not going to be resolved in a single book it's going to develop through the course of a trilogy and it it takes its time and it expects the reader to take their time and be patient too and i think that's a very rewarding thing yeah and now i'm very impatient because i would like to have the next book already but i don't have it so how dare not okay waiting another year we don't even know when it's coming out. That's the oh, worst that's part. that's even worse. Like, I'm really hoping it'll be like the Aftermath trilogy was, which weren't quite a year. I think it was more like nine months mm-hmm. in between each book. I really hope so. I really, 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 really hope so. Um, But yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, Well, one more thing on the X-Wing series comparison. Yes. If you're looking... Um, I mentioned this on Twitter, but I think... I think it falls somewhere in between a Stackpole and an Alston book um, in terms of in terms of tone. Um, it's a lot more readable than a Stackpole book uh, or less less dense and bogged down by the technical elements that uh, are common in military science fiction. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're a fan of the X-Wing books, this is one you want to pick up. Yeah. Um, I realized we missed a character because of my haphazard show notes that I did on my phone while totally paying attention at work. Let's talk about Harrison Dula. And number one, where the heck is Jason? <laughs> Not on a battleship. Uh, I'm just, uh, I just, that, that didn't even mention him, really. I mean, there's Chop- that Chopper's babysitting, I guess. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that- God. Chopper and Rex are babysitting him. <laughs> oh, God. I guess fam- sometimes a family is a murder droid and a weird clone uncle. Um, I'm sure he'll turn out fine. Oh, yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, thing, like, How did you guys feel about seeing her in the general, the role of general? So for someone like me who reads the Afro comics and has seen her have that guest star role as a general more towards the time of the trilogy, it it felt very organic, a very organic growth from that. But for someone like you, Brian, who may not be as caught up on the Afro series, was it different? 
Uh, I, I I actually was caught up through. I'm I'm about seven issues behind, so I at least got through. Just that kidding. <laughs> um. So yeah, it was it was a really natural progression, and even if I hadn't read those comics, um, seeing where she ended in Rebels and knowing how much time was between there and Jedi, uh, that totally made sense for me. How about you, Jay? It was really heavy seeing her introduction. Like she has all these cares and concerns, you know, not just her task force, but you know, the, really the, the shape of the whole war. And she's, you know, there's those scenes where she's thinking about her family, her old crew, and we know who exactly who she's talking about. And it, it just hits you how long she's been fighting this war and how she's still doing it, how she's managing more than ever. It's, it's a very hero role. Like it fits like her role in the book fits perfectly. The fact that even though she has all these cares in the world, she can still stop and mentor Erica and give her advice. And I don't know. It, it like her role was just perfect in this. Yeah. It did make me even sadder though, that Sabine is somewhere on Lothal for whatever reason and not still with her and fighting that fight and I was just like it's it's so sad to see you know space mom on her own like this but I agree with you about the role seeming very natural and I loved seeing her get to be a mentor on this somewhat grander scale if that makes sense yeah yeah um what else what else what else oh and hey not talking about Hera, but because it is Pride Month, I counted at least two bisexual characters in this book. Because Erica is definitely at least bi, because yep. she has a thing for the mechanic. Um, and I noticed this time around that Wilde has a passing mention about a fling with a guy. Holy, I completely missed that in my read. Yeah, no, I missed it the first time. I only caught it this time or the second read through. Um, it's a very brief thing about uh, him hooking up with someone, but then they realized they were better off as friends and went their separate ways. Interesting. Yeah. But I also read him as totally having a thing for Chas. Oh, yeah. he definitely had a thing for Chas. Yeah. So my good, soft oh, space horse boy is also by... I- Damn it, I love I'm him even more. Sure. I'm I'm 90% sure that that, because I, I reread the pronoun twice. And it definitely was a male pronoun. So, yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad that we're continuing to see more LGBTQ plus characters in the galaxy. Makes me happy, especially since it's Pride Month. And I really hope that Erica and the mechanic end up getting together at some point because, good God, that woman needs something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She needs a girlfriend. He will also give her tattoos. <laughs> give Erica a girlfriend 2019. Or 2020. I'm Just done with that, yeah. Be careful what you wish for when Alexander Freed is the writer. Oh, damn it. Give her a girlfriend and then let n- neither of them die, please. 2020. <laughs> you can kill Nath. Go kill Nath instead. <laughs> kill him twice. <laughs> It's apparently Nash can't die. Kill Nath. Um, what else did I want to go over? Oh, so each section of the book ended with a little a chapter about someone named Devin. 
And then at the yes. very the very end, we find out that Devin is no other than Major Soren Keys or Kai's, who was Erica's commanding officer in Shadow Wing, and he was the one who was like, "Just go." Did you see that twist coming? Nope. Mm. I definitely realized. I mean, it's it was not hard to, to figure out that Devin was Imperial and that he was someone who was good at killing, but the fact that he was the major, absolutely not. Yeah. There's now that I I didn't see it coming either, but now that I know it, I feel like shoot, what was that movie? Um I think it's the usual suspects. Oh my god. Okay, have you guys seen the usual suspects? Nope. So it's like It's it's a I'll just I'll steal the description from Wikipedia. The plot follows the interrogation of Roger Verbal Kint, a small-time con man who is one of only two survivors of a massacre and a fire on a dock on a ship docked to the port of Los Angeles. Through flashback and narration, Kent tells an interrogator a convoluted story of events that led to him and his criminal companions to the boat and of a mysterious crime lord known as Kieser Sos who controlled them. And it has Kevin Spacey in it. And the, f- mm. I think the the twist ends up being who Kaiser Sos actually is, which it's the guy. I haven't seen the movie in a while, but like, point is, is there? There's that whole twist of, oh my god, that's who, that's who he actually is. And I'm just, and it occurred to me earlier, Soren Kai's Kaiser Sos. I mm. really want to know if that's intentional or not. Here's the funny thing. I, 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 I've known that name and I, and I, and that name, the major's name reminded me of that. And mm-hmm. it's funny. I didn't know the context at all. And I was like, ah, I've heard that name before. And I know it's a <clears throat> pop culture thing somewhere. Yeah. It's the whole, and I haven't, I, I'm not going to explain the movie very well, but it's the, it's one of those big famous twists that everyone knows, or at least you, you're somewhat familiar with about it. But yeah, I, I really want to know if that was intentional now. Um, yeah, how do you think that's going to play out? Because I'm, I'm kind of somewhat surprised he went back to the Empire. Well, you know, some people just have their head on straight. Uh... Brian, Jay. what are your thoughts? Jay. Um, this book is full of so many clever, subtle twists, and this was another one of them. Um, I did. I didn't. I didn't see. I. I didn't see it being. See Devin being him. Um. I, I knew he was not. He knew he was not as he appeared. But uh, yeah, didn't see it coming. Loved it. Yeah, I had like I. I got some sneaking suspicions when she was explaining her service. You know, after she's confronted about her service record. Um, and then there was that conversation about that she's thinking about where they're uh, um, about there being something off with her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. There, I feel like there's more to him than they're, than they're telling us. But yeah, it was a very good twist. Um, Jay, I want to get your take on the Imperials in this book. 
Yeah, so it was really, really fascinating. Um, of course, you know, we start out with traitor's remorse and all that stuff about the Imperials having trouble integrating with the Republic. But what was more interesting to me was the people who were still on the Empire side, specifically Colonel Shakara Nures and Shadow Wing. We see things from her point of view. And by the way, she, uh, the Colonel, grandmother, is my favorite character in this whole book. She's amazing. Um, of course she is. Oh, she calls the rebels separatists. She's like, we we fought them before. It's the same war. They want the same thing. They're terrible. I love her. Um, and what's really fascinating about her is she's sort of a dyed-in-the-wool's loyalist. Like She was loyal to the Republic. She's loyal to the Empire. She sees them as the same thing. And so when the Operation Cinderbot shows up and demands absolute loyalty from her, she's like, yeah, oh, sure, of course. And she trusts that there will be a plan. Um She's the one that talks about when you kill. It, it, it was her line, right? That about when you kill innocents, it should have a purpose, right? Um, maybe. I I think it, that was either her line or she had a line like that when she was thinking about the Cinder Bot, where she was thinking this had to be for a greater reason, right? And the fact that, um, and as she's facing her last moments, even she thinks to herself. Because the, the, the Operation Cinderbot shows up at the end of the last battle and doesn't do anything. So it just sort of stays there floating silently, um, being unresponsive. And as she's sort of meeting her end, she thinks to herself, oh, no, what if it was for nothing? What if it was yeah. just maliciousness on the fact, you know, on behalf of the Emperor? And we never see that thought really resolve. It's sort of a really sad way to die. And it's... It's the the sort of dark side of being a complete loyalist, right? And the and the people who carried out Cinder were the loyalists. I mean, some of them were crazy, and some of them drank the Kool Aid enough to sort of close their eyes and ears to what they were actually doing and trust it was all for a reason. And it wasn't. And that was it was amazing to see that. Yeah, that was a damn good death scene. Extremely oh, good. I loved every time she would slip up about, like you mentioned, Jay, the separatist things. And everyone would just kind of side-eye her and be like, that was 25 years ago. Okay, Grandma. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and that actually ended up answering one of our reader questions, I think. Or sort of did. Because Megan asked us how we felt about how the book portrayed the Empire. Um, I think it gave a very... Very realistic touch, especially with how Erica approached it. Yeah, I mean, the closest we got into this before was um, uh, Battlefront or Inferno Squad and Battlefront 2. And uh, that perspective gets cut uh, right as Operation Cinder or um, that perspective gets cut as Operation Cinder is going on when um, Dell and Iden defect. So we get a we get a deeper look as things keep devolving for the Empire uh, in this book, which I thought was really neat. Right, because we've seen the other side of it before. Like we saw it in, in Lost Stars, the what the Empire was like at its height and the rationalizations people made back then. But after Cinder, it's like the mask is off, and yet there are some people who are still following through. And it was nice to see. You know, they weren't just the crazy fanatics. Like, it wasn't Nash Windwider. It wasn't Gideon Hask. It was, you know, Grandmother knew what she was doing, and she had just convinced herself. she There had to be a reason. It, it didn't make any other sense otherwise. And 
it, sometimes things don't make sense. Sometimes people are just bad. I'm really curious to go back and reread something like Lost Stars now and see how this book puts that in perspective, especially Ooh, with Sienna. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other question we have is from Diana, who asks us our thoughts on how it ties into the, uh, the TIE Fighter series from Marvel. I've actually only read the first issue so far because I just picked up my books the other day after a month. Uh, I'm enjoying it so far, though. I um, think I'll have to give my take once we have all five issues out. Yeah, answer unclear right now. Get back to us uh, after all five issues are out. Yeah, and one thing I, I, I noticed um, going back to issue number one, I've read two of them, but I'll only talk about one number one. It, it doesn't really matter at this point, but going back to number one is most of the cast from the comics are not the same people we hear about in uh, in Erica's recollection of Shadow Ring. Like the only sort of overlap is grandmother. We, we do see a scene of grandmother in issue one and she does her whole separatist thing, but everyone else in the group is a fresh cast of characters, which means neither story is going to be spoiling the other. And it'll be really interesting to see uh, what happens with the group in issue one. Cause even in issue one, we see some of them are those types of characters that, you know, some of them are the true believers in the empire. And my favorite character in the comic um is I don't remember his name, but he's the one that says, oh, you know, my family served the Republic for many years, and the Empire is just like the Republic. And it's like, oh, oh boy, you're, you're going to be in it for a rude awakening at some point soon before these five issues are over. I just know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how everything fits together, though. This will be neat. Um, yeah. Jay, do you want to go ahead and do your art corner? Sure. So, um because we didn't have much art to talk about yet, and, and I think there will be art in the Barnes & Noble edition, I thought we would talk about the scene with the unit colors and specifically the crest that was created from Alphabet Squadron, which I believe is the same sort of crest that we got on not the final book cover, but like the, the cover, not final cover. That was the crest, right? With all it the was, fighters coming up on the rebel symbol. You mean the patch that they yeah. did is the, for the pre-orders? Uh, yeah, the black and orange one? Yeah. I, that's my assumption. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So anyway, so we have the unit crest for Alphabet Squad, and we've seen several unit crest designs, you know, in the past of Star Wars. We saw the the Rogue Squadron design, the Wraith Squadron design. We also have fighter uh, squadrons, their own unique themes, like the Tyrfon Yellow Aces or the 181st with the red stripes. And I thought I'd pose a question to you guys, which is, what color scheme would you use for your own personalized squadron or crest if you were putting one together yourself? So I'm going to do like a red circle with three red lines that kind of go down diagonally. <sighs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm not going to use the answer I used in the DM earlier. <laughs> but I'm going to go with black and slightly less dark black. So gray. Brian? Uh, pink, purple, and blue. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. That's thematic. Mm-hmm. Wait, maybe I should change mine up then. Hold on. Uh, black, gray, white, and purple. Hey, it works. All right. Well, Jay. <laughs> a golden imperial seal with a laurel wreath around it and, uh, you know, just the purple silhouette of the Emperor Palpatine on the back. I'd like to point out how painfully on brand all three of us were just now. Extraordinarily on brand. 
Hey, Squadron Insignia is all about branding. Always yes. be branding. Yes, Jay. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. Did you guys have any last thoughts about the book or the squadron or anything that you wanted to say before we wrap this up? I love everyone in this squadron. I don't particularly care for Nath. (laughs) Yep, that's about it. Jay? This book is so good and it hurts. Yeah. I would die for Erica Quell, but she would hate it. That's about what I got. All right. So I think we're... I suspect we'll probably be doing this for whatever the second book in the trilogy is, too. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. But in the meantime, I think that's it for this episode. So, join us for our next episode next month when we're finally going to go back and talk about Queen Jamila and Naboo and the monarchy. I bet you can't guess who's leading that episode. Don't forget, if you have any questions for us to answer on a future episode or just want to chime in, you can tweet them to us via the Tasha Jason account, which you should absolutely do if... By the time it's next week, Brian has not released a playlist for Chass. There will be a playlist. I I've promise. tweeted about it. Your It'll wife is going to hold you to it. She will hold me to it. I know. She tweeted saying she would. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Great. See, it's going to happen. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. <laughs> Let's get out of here. This episode of the Kanji Cast has been brought to you in part by you, our Patreon subscribers. Uh, Patreon.com slash Tashi Station. Get in at the $1 level and get in on our Patreon-exclusive Slack team, where you can gush about Alphabet Squadron with us. Uh, We are part of the Tashi Station Network. If you like what you hear, subscribe to the Tashi Station radio mega feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you might grab podcasts. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us with the handles Tashi Station official show account. You can find Bria with Chaos Bria. Jay is Admiral Jello. I'm Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. Uh, you can find our columns and news on TashiStation.net. Thanks for listening to another episode. Catch you all next month. So long.